Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Football Club Pod. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi guys, welcome welcome to another episode of the pod. I'm joined with uh, Jay and, and Dim today. You guys okay? Yeah, all good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad to myself. Good, good. Well, as you know, this week's uh, been eventful. It's been a lot of talking points. I think the main talking point we can get out this weekend was VAR and the use of it. And uh, I think it'll be it's a perfect time to talk about talk about VAR and how it's adapted to English football. If it's made it better, if it's made it worse, you know, just general thoughts on on the guys and what they think is uh, moving forward. If it's a good idea to stick with it, if there's any other inclusions of technology that they think um, would uh, benefit benefit English football, see how it how how the guys think of it. Um, but I'll come to Dim. I'll come to you first. You know, a lot of talking points from this weekend, especially in in your you know Liverpool versus Everton game. Uh, what do you think of those incidents in particular, Pickford and Van Dyke and the Richarlison incident too? Um, I mean, it's a bit tough to take, uh, especially for a Liverpool fan, knowing that our you know top player was pretty much ruled out for the whole season and. There was no sort of reprieve in terms of Pickford getting sent off and causing that damage. I know that the offside um, was... I know the offside should have been given, but it's it's one of them ones where I'm struggling to kind of put into words why he didn't get sent off. I mean, there's a whole whole, whole lot of talking points in terms of whether the offside should have even stood in the first place so my initial thoughts on it was that I feel really really hard done by and I can guarantee that I speak on behalf of all Liverpool fans it's not a nice feeling knowing that our our best player in our team I know we got Mo Salah and Mane but our best player in our team is out for the whole season with the recklessness of one individual he's got a a history of committing challenges like this. We've seen on Deli Ali as well. He did this, a similar thing. Luckily, Ali didn't get injured, but it's hard to take. It's very, very hard to take. As per my actual thoughts on VAR, well, I'm a really big fan of it, if I'm honest, but it can be a farce at times. It's only as good as the officials using it. So I think it's made a difference. We've seen the likes of, you know, Aubameyang having a goal disallowed against Man United last season. And this was obviously wrong. And it was obviously given by the officials once VAR had gone over it again. Yeah, I think carrying on from your point in regards to the actual tackle itself, I've seen a lot of people on social media saying, the whistle's already blown. Why are people kind of the fouls? Whether it's it's a foul after the whistle, it, in my eyes, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't kind of give a player leeway to kind of put those kind of challenges in. And the issue that we have there is that you've got with VAR, from what I know, there's there's numerous officials sitting there watching that incident. If you take like a sport like cricket, if it, there's one individual there looking at. It, if you've now got three people looking at it, there's there's going to be a, a variance of opinions. From that kind of incident, I feel like the on-field ref should have more 
say on it. Whether it's offside, leave that with the people in their kind of huts or offices, wherever they're sitting, 240 tackles, whether it's a foul or not, handball, let the on-field referee look at it. He's he's the one in the in the game. He should be, have the final say. You see it in Europe. You see it in Syria. How it's done. You know the referee goes running to the to the screen, looks at it, and he makes a decision. The VAR time frame as well. You're looking about. Sometimes I've seen about five minutes. You know VAR looking at something. You just don't know of what's going to happen there. And as a, as a well, someone watching the game, I think it just kind of kills it off. Uh, the concept in itself, I agree with Dim. It's a fantastic concept, but it needs a lot of work. I think it's worth noting as well that for a lot of people, it seems like the referees that are using the system aren't probably, one, able to use the system properly, or two, they're not educated enough in their referees' training to use it properly. But we've got to kind of ask this question to either Pogmol who are the referee's body or the individual referees themselves to kind of maintain their knowledge of the game rather than, you know, making these decisions in key situations in the game. I like Jane's point about, you know, the people that there's about six and seven of them making a decision, which doesn't make any sense. And I also agree with when the, when a decision is made, if it's regarding offside, then I think it should go to, because they've got the technology to find out if it's actually offside regarding to you know tackles and incidents happening on the pitch i think it's 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 something they've changed already this season about the the on field ref going to the to the monitors to check you know the incident again but i still don't think it's been used enough there's there's incidents in one game where for example a high foot is on a player and they're getting booked but then you move to another game that's happened a couple of hours later so the same incident happens again but it doesn't have the same result and I just don't, I don't understand it I think it's a good concept like Jane was saying I still don't think we're using it correctly and I don't understand why our rules are different to everyone else's around Europe to me it seems like more of an ego problem to be honest you know we have referees like Mike Dean for example who is a massive egomaniac the way he carries himself around the pitch and multiple players have even come out and said this but it's basic decisions that they've made wrong. Last year, where Naby Keita was fouled against Leicester City and it was a clear penalty and this wasn't given and we ended up losing out on the title by one point when this was a last-minute penalty that made us drop two points. I mean, we've also seen other incidents against Liverpool, for example, where to Trent Alexander-Arnold last year clearly handballed and 22 seconds later, Fabinho went and scored in arguably one of the games that extended our lead. I mean, if we lost that game, who knows what would have happened. So there's pivotal moments. I can think back to one more example, Bournemouth versus Villa last year. I'm not sure you guys would disagree, in fact, that goal line technology failed to award a clear goal to Bournemouth and VAR didn't intervene. You know, there was massive controversy on the pitch, players claiming the goal. How quickly and easy would it have been just to refer to the pitch side monitor, kind of refer to whether the, the ball had crossed the line? And this eventually contributed to Bournemouth's relegation. So it's, it, it's a massive thing to miss out on. Yeah, I think to add to your point on the goal line technology and the offsides, key decision there, 
Henderson's goal, given Mane offside, the rule is the ball playing part of your body. The elbow is not a ball playing part of the body. And they've kind of given that offside. When you have, if I refer back to cricket again, and, and even like rugby, we were talking about before the pod, you can actually hear the officials talking amongst themselves and what they're saying. The name is, say, is, is actually kind of known to the public as well. Who is the official that's there? Cricket, you know who the third umpire is. Rugby, you know the guy who's sitting up there as well. Football, who's sitting in Stockley Park. You don't know. It could be anyone. There is no kind of shame or no pressure put upon them. Is there a kind of an independent panel that is reviewing their decisions, reviewing how they're doing in games, whether they're making right decisions to kind of then go on to our next game? Are they be able to keep their job in Premier League? X amount of mistakes you do make and you can get taken off for games, but it's not as kind of vigorous. There's little things like that. I think that they do kind of need to zone in. It is... The Premier League is the most lucrative league. This shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, Jayan, just going back to your point where referees should lose their jobs. In the in the Liverpool versus Everton game, the, the, the referee that was on the VAR was actually David Coote. And he, last year, was on the same... He, he made a similar error um, where Divock Origi was fouled against Man United and Marcus Rashford went on, went on and scored. And... The Referees Association, Pogmol, uh, came out and apologised and said, David Coote will reflect on this and learn from it. Clearly, it feels like they've just made a statement to release some of the heat and he's gone and done something similar again. So there has to be some sort of accountability. So like you said, the kind of transparency that we get from listening to them in both in rugby and in cricket, I think that would really help and put a little bit of pressure on them to get these decisions right. Yeah, I also think that the thing is, I think that before VAR was even in in the Premier League, I think the standard of refereeing was not good at all. If you look at the quality of our refereeing in this country compared to Europe, you can see that it was World Cup that just happened. There were no English referees chosen by FIFA, and that just shows that we've got no uh, top referees in the league at that time. And the reason why VAR was brought in to, was to help them, but I don't think it's helped them at all. I think it's probably made it even worse. It's made it worse for fans. It's made it worse for managers. It's made it worse for players. Because they tell us one thing that's going to be happening this season in regards to VAR. It could be the rules or whatever. And then we see something else in the game. And I think that's one thing that is really frustrating as a supporter as well, is the fact that we're going to games knowing that there's VAR. And the worst thing is the supporters at home watching on TV can see replays, whereas people in the stadium don't know what's going on until they see a, there's just a screen that says words on it, whether it's offside or onside. It's just a bit, it's a bit laughable. I think the incident at, at Old Trafford last season between Arsenal and Manchester United regarding Aubameyang's off, offside goal, it was a situation where they've changed it this season, don't get me wrong, in terms of the offside decision because the linesmen are not, not putting their flags up until the ball's kind of out of play or stopped really. Whereas last season, it was different. They were calling offside, but then they'll go check it anyway. I think from Arsenal's point of view, we were lucky that Aubameyang actually scored the goal and then he went to offside. Because if it didn't, I think it would have been total chaos because, number one, the fans would have known what's going on because at Old Trafford, there's no screens. Number two, the actual incident, if he did score or if he didn't score, we wouldn't have known. Yeah, going back to how they've introduced it into our system, it seems to me that they're trying to say that 
they have it at their disposal, but not actually use it to its full capacity. I mean, we saw last year that they didn't go to the pitch side monitors when most of the time it would make sense for the referee to go to the pitch side monitors and have a look at the incident in question themselves and make their own informed decision rather than relying on another referee who may have a different interpretation of what went wrong. Well, I think it's clear to say that we've said a lot of you know bad things about VAR. There have been a few good points, but I wanted to ask Jane, do you think there's anything actually been successful about VAR this season or in general since its uh, release? I'm actually trying to think you know the success points of the actual application itself, and I can't really think of many, if if any. Yeah, like I said, the concept is supposed to be fantastic. You put it on a piece of paper, you say it out loud to anyone, and they think this is going to be great. It's going to clean up the game. It'll make the game a much better kind of platform for the fans, much better platform for the players, the teams. You'll reduce controversy in the game. What VAR is actually probably doing at the moment, yeah, is actually increasing that factor. Like, like we mentioned before, there's numerous things that they can do. It's the most lucrative league. They can invest more money, get a more better system in place. Technologies of the abundance nowadays, you can put different measures in place as well. It's just little things that they can do. Far, the one thing that does, the one thing I can kind of think of as a positive, the Aubameyang goal, I think the Andre Gomez leg breaker by Son was originally given as a yellow then pushed onto a red. But the, these things is what we want to see. If it's a red, it's a red. Me me as a fan, I'm, I'm watching Man United play. If the ball hits an opposition player in the hand, I have about a 60% belief that VAR is that shit that even if it's not deliberate, I'm hoping that he'll give it as a penalty just in benefit. My conception is not that I have that much faith in VAR that he's not going to give it a penalty. We're going to play the game fairly. I have that element that something stupid is going to happen. You've seen early in the season against Crystal Palace, the ball just hit Lindenoff's hand and he's given a penalty there as well. And the other factor as well, you've seen De Gea, he came off his line. They they made him retake that. He came off his line by about two inches. Every penalty I've seen, I've seen goalkeepers like at least 10, 15 inches off their line. Why bring back that moment? Just that thing keep it consistent if you're going to do that happy happy days but do it in every single game and a similar kind of concept if you're going to pinpoint to that little point and players take corners the ball's out why are you not nitpicking on that even throwings you've seen it so many times where players are actually inside the pitch and they're actually throwing the ball there's no consistency at all you made some good points especially that Lindelof one when I've seen it back from a football fan it's, it's not used correctly and it's just it's a bit of a farce and the consistency is probably one of the biggest issues we have in, amongst fans and just supporters in general. When you, when you spoke about Lindelof and his handball, a few hours later, Arsenal playing their, their game as well and Gabriel handballed, but it was not given. And it just doesn't make sense that ref, different referees are using different policies, but it's not going to be, it's not used, it's more of a con- controversy thing than anything else. I still think VAR can be successful. I just think the application of it is not being used correctly. And I think the people using it are the ones to blame. I don't think the actual technology is to blame. I think the people using it and applying it in the game are are not using it correctly. Jim, what are your thoughts on this? I like the element where they kind of use it for offside, especially when they use it correctly. You know, you saw with John Lundstrom last year with 
Sheffield United versus Spurs, his big toe was offside. You know, it, it eliminates the question of whether it's offside or whether it's not offside. Offside is offside, you know, but the key is that they use it properly. You know, none of this business of, you know, drawing the lines on themselves and, you know, there needs to be some sort of automated method of having ready, ready-made lines so you can decipher whether it's offside or not. But other than that, I, 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 I'm struggling to kind of see how English officials are using it so poorly when we see it used so well in Europe. You know, referees go over to the pitch side monitors really quickly uh, in Europe particularly in the Champions League. We saw it used really well in the 2018 World Cup. So I just think that it's the English officials and uh, the English Referees Association who are kind of getting it wrong. Yeah, de- definitely. I agree in terms of the actual association itself. The quality of refereeing in the UK is not great. I mean, that kind of moves on to the next point that we are going to talk about in regards to foreign referees. You look at you look across to Spain, Italy, Germany. There's there's a lot of top referees there. And I think good point Milan made there as well was that World Cups, Champions League, whether it's um, Euros, there's not many English referees getting picked up for these kind of key games, and there is there is a reason for it. It's because they make too many mistakes. Everyone knows about it, and at the top top games, they they kind of want them to put themselves in the centre of focus, centre of attention. Hence, what needs to be done is there needs to be some sort of system whereby foreign refs are kind of picked up from abroad and kind of brought in. And the whole governing system kind of needs to flip up and change there as well. How they kind of, what are the rules? What What's the kind of training system that these guys are going through in the UK? What are they looking out for? It is the fastest league. If it's the fastest league, then surely there are going to be errors because the pace of the game is so quick but then again if I take that individual and now move him to a slower paced league let's say Serie A they, they should be fantastic so I'd, I'd like to see that happen as well why don't English refs go across to Serie A why don't they kind of move around what do you guys think yeah I mean we've already seen an Australian ref actually come into the EFL so his name is Jared Gillette and he was their best uh, referee and he's actually now in the EFL he's done a couple of EFL cup games and, and in the championship and he's also been a VAR official in the Premier League but what was so good about him is obviously we heard through uh, him being mic'd up that you know the way he interacts with players it's top class people respect him and you know he gets a good reception from players themselves especially in his last game there was a couple of comments that saying uh, players were saying, you know, you're a brilliant referee and good luck in uh, in England. I mean, the way he acted towards the players, he, he was more so kind of explaining his decisions and his rationale behind it. And I don't feel that we get that with English referees. Again, I'll go back to Mike Dean, for example. When he makes a decision, he looks as if he doesn't want to know uh, what the players want to, uh, you know, what the players are saying. And it just seems to me that there's this arrogance with English referees that because they're refereeing in the top league in the world, that they're not expendable and there's not better referees out there. Yeah, I think the idea of having foreign referees could definitely help our game. But I think 
it's also could be a bad move because they're not up to scratch, especially like Jay mentioned about the, you know, the pace of the English game. The only people that know about the pace of the English game are the English referees. I don't think foreign referees probably understand that. It could work though, because you've seen incidents in the past, you know, the likes of John Terry, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Tony Adams coming out and talking about how they used to kind of, you know, buddy buddy with the with the referees before the game so they can get on their side and you know when it comes to a decision they would use their first name as a psychological effect on them and say come on Mike that wasn't a yellow and I think you know you can't really do that to foreign referees because they probably don't even speak English how are they going to kind of you know get on their side and kind of make influence them to make decisions with the foreign referees in general I think the only way they can get better is if they are more consistent with their with their decision making as a as a group rather than individually because that's how we see it from game by game, not ref by ref. And there should be a kind of a system in place where if a referee's, you know, refing a game and they've had a bad decision, they've had a couple of bad decisions, they're kind of demoted to a smaller game in the league or demoted to a smaller division, you know, whether that be Premier League to Championship or they've had a really successful game, they'll go from a smaller, a smaller fixture in the Premier League to a bigger fixture in the Premier League coming up. If you look at the standout performances, I think we had Mark Clattenburg before, we had Howard Webb before that, who was a top, top referee. And I think since them two have probably gone, it's been it's pretty wayward and it's been pretty on the, on the downward spiral. Do you think, I know we've spoken about VAR and it's, been, it's a huge talking point, uh, but I, I, from, a, from another point of view, I think, I really like the use of technology in the game, especially the goal line goal line technology because it's it's pretty you know it's hit or miss. It's it you see the in the goal or it's out of the goal. I know we had the incident last season regarding Sheffield United and, and uh, Aston Villa, but I think they they came out and they said that that was one incident in like a million because I, I can't remember the number of cameras they've got in the stadium, but not one single camera could could pick up the ball and its placement within the goal because of the amount of players that were blocking it. And I agreed with what Dim said. It should have gone to VAR because it was just more, it was just common sense for it to go to VAR, but it didn't. And that's what fans just didn't understand. But I, I like a goal line technology. I think that's been a really, really good inclusion into the game. I think it's unfair for the lower teams, especially if you look at FA Cups. FA, FA Cup games, there's been incidents where where they've come out and said, you know, the uh, goal line technology is going to be used at Old Trafford, for example, but it won't be used at League Two ground because they can't afford it. And I think that's a bit, that's a bit unfair. If you got, if you're using it in one game and not another, I think it shouldn't be used across the whole, the whole cup competition, just to give you know the smaller clubs a bit more chance, a bit more of a chance. Yeah, going back to that point, actually, I think one good thing that they've actually done this year is kind of deviated from that. So, you know, in the, in, in the Carling Cup or EFL Cup, sorry, as we call it now, the name changes all the time, but the competition's kind of gone away from using VAR and the competition itself has gone away from using VAR in total. Um, so, yeah, so that that's one good thing that they've done for it. Well, that was a really good discussion, guys. It was a good topic on both sides, different technologies we've used in English football. But I think it'll be a good opportunity to talk about a few more talking points of last weekend. I think it'll be a good, good, uh, good time to kind of round up the fixtures. Do you guys have any, any games in mind that you would like to talk about? Yeah, the, the clear game for me would be 
West Ham versus Spurs. You know, it wasn't very Mourinho-like to be 3-0 up and then go to 3-3. West Ham were, now, well, now are the first team to be 3-0 down in the last 10 minutes and then come back to level it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't really Mourinho-like, as, as I said. You know, he's really used to, we're really used to him shutting up shop. I think key moments in that game took Son off. I think one of the key things that we do kind of been reiterated a few times in this season, I think against Newcastle as well, took Son off, didn't kill the game off. But you say that 3 0 up and the game is dead, it's killed. There's, there's nothing more to kind of add there. But like, like we pointed to the other part with, with the United game that I was speaking about, Spurs were showing massive defensive fragilities at the back. There was a couple of balls United were paying in the first 10-15 minutes and, you know, you're in. And I think they kind of got found out from, they went from being a title challenger to just bang on Spurs again within like 45 minutes. So, you know, happy days for my side seeing that. What I'm saying is, I think David Moyes working from home has kind of been a revelation. I, I agree with Jane saying, I think it, if you look at the first 15 minutes, yes, they were 3-0 down, but this West Ham still had chances and it didn't look like a 3-0 game. They had chances. I think the way they changed it in, in the second half, especially last, they had to go for it for the last 15 minutes. But Suchek is like their new, it's like a new Fellaini. Cresswell putting some amazing balls in and Lanzini is goal, definitely goal of the season so far. I went, I went crazy. Honestly, obviously I was an Arsenal fan. I loved it. But the way he striked that ball, that was, uh, that was beautiful. But I don't understand how Spurs didn't see off that game. It felt, once they went 3 0 up, it felt like they dropped back even more. And I didn't understand the game plan. I just, if, from the second half, they didn't, they didn't come out. They didn't want to get a fourth and a fifth to kind of, you know, just dead and bury it. They, it felt like they were giving West Ham a chance and I didn't understand their tactics. Yeah, I think they should have just gone a lot more defensive. I know Hoybier was, was really good yesterday. I mean, Bringing Winks on, I, I don't think that he should have brought Winks on, if I'm honest. He should have gone far more defensive. The, the two centre-backs are very, very inconsistent for me. Davinson Sanchez, he's a good defender, don't get me wrong, but there's a bit of erraticness when I watch him play. And with uh, Toby Odeweireld, you know, he's a class defender, but he, he seems off it. A little bit you know he wasn't winning challenges you know the, the two defenders at the back you'd expect them to be winning challenges but Suchek and even Antonio to an extent were really bossing them around I'm, I'm staggered to be honest yeah definitely I think Tottenham were looking for a centre-back in the summer Screenio has been put into the, you know, the mix of things they end up getting one it is you're right they, they do need a centre-back but until that kind of issue's kind of been solved, you can't really see them be a force. It's going to be a game where they're going to try and have to outscore teams. We'll move on to the next game that I think was fantastic. Man City versus Arsenal. This was literally just a game of chess in my eyes. The way the way Man City set up at the back with a kind of a three-back turning into a four-back when they, when they are defending and when they're attacking, you've seen Foden playing out wide left. He's literally hugging the wide, the, the, the touchline. It's literally just not moving. That is where he's remaining. What, what the whole objective of that 
was that they wanted to spread that whole back three out, split it apart. And when you did see Man City attack, everything went through uh, Bernardo Silva. I think he's a fantastic player, great player to have back, back into Man City. From the back to the front, he's there, he's picking up the ball. And he's like David Silva-esque. You can't take the ball off him. He's wiggling in and out. He makes a small little pass, skips past one player, and then it's just one, two, give it him back, and he's off. As soon as they drive through that middle, he's driving through. You've got Aguero, Sterling there. Now you've got that one centre-back there in the middle. He's confused. Do I stick? Do I stick? Do I go forward? Do I, I've got Sterling here running around. And then on the wide, you've got Mares on one side. You've got Foden there. They're literally not moving from those touchlines. They're hugging it. And you've got three people charging through the middle. It was absolutely fantastic to see from Myers. I've been a critic of Pep of recently tactically getting it wrong in some games, not changing it up. But that was, you know, top notch in my eyes. What, what are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I think the way he set out that team, I personally didn't think that they were going to, I think they were going to be similar to how they played against Leicester. But I think one key thing was they had Aguero in that team. He's a central striker. I think when they were using, it was Sterling and sometimes Mares. Foden sometimes, it'll be a false nine, it'll be, you know, Sterling's not a striker, he's not got that physicality about him. He's more of a guy to kind of run into the channels. And I think Aguero, he sticks to his position of being in the centre, being, you know, that fox in the box and being in, the, in, the, in those areas. I agree with, with what Jane was saying about how they set up. I didn't expect it, Cancelo being in the midfield with them, Walker pushing on on the right side with Mahrez. It counteract Arsenal's formation very, very well. Because what would normally happen with Arsenal is if, you know, they've got Tierney, Saka and Aubameyang on the left and they kind of have more players on the, on the wide areas, especially on the left side. So they've got two kind of overlapping and then Aubameyang can come inside. But I think when they had the battle between Aubameyang and Walker was very, very good to see. Walker's just as quick as Aubameyang and you could see Aubameyang was getting no room whatsoever. In normal game, he was, you know, he's playing against a much slower centre-back or much slower full-back. And he's getting the freedom of a lot more space to be put into. In this game, you just didn't see it whatsoever. We had, I think, pers- personally from an Arsenal point of view, I think we played re- we played well. We just got tactically, we probably could have changed it a little bit. Uh, but I still, th- I personally think this performance was a lot better on the eye than what we played against Man City in the semi-finals um, last season of the FA Cup. We held the ball better. We did. I think our, we still lack creativity and. A lot of fans on Twitter and a lot of supporters are saying, you know, bring Ozil back into the team. But I don't, I still don't think that's the answer. I just think he's not going to be fitting that system the way that Arteta wants to play. But I can't, I can't say, I can't fault City. I think they played very well. Yeah, I agree to an extent. It was a bit strange seeing Aubameyang play up front rather than on the left. I know I've said in the past to you guys that... Um, I'd like to see Aubameyang up front, but he is a lot more effective uh, on that left-hand side coming in, stretching the game. And I just feel that he looked a little bit out of sorts up front. And especially with that that weird uh, three at the back kind of thing spread across, especially with the likes of Carl Walker coming up against him. It kept him very, very quiet. And I kind of expected a little bit more from Aubameyang um, and Arsenal as a team as well. But it, they, they were in the game, but City kind of suffocated them. It didn't allow them to create any chances. So 
it was it was a vintage city performance an unusual one for the normal premier league fan to see especially with that 3-1-3-3 three, three, three formation it was we know we've seen pep do that when he was at bayern munich i i, I felt that abamyang was far too quiet so i think maybe play him on the left for the next game and put someone like Lacazette or even Enketia up front. I'm a massive fan of Enketia, as most of you guys will know. He's a, he's a clinical, clinical finisher. And that is what Arsenal need. And if you give someone like him service, you know, you'll get goals. Another, another player that I found played really well yesterday and, and was the standout for Arsenal was Bukayo Saka. And I personally would have taken him at Liverpool every day of the week. bit gutting that he signed a new deal with you guys, but there's a lot more to come from him. And especially if you play him kind of as a left wing back or even in the middle, he brings a lot of energy and he's a little silky little player, which is really good. And what Arsenal need to create these chances to get service to the likes of Aubameyang and Ketia and Lacazette if they play him. Yeah, I think, well, quick point on Bakayi Saka. I think he played very well, like you just said. I've heard a lot of things about like he needs to nail down a position in the team. And I just don't understand that. I think one of his biggest assets is his versatility. He can play on the left, he can play on the right, he can play, you know, wing back, he can play in the middle. And I think that's one of the reasons why Arteta loves him because if he's in a, if he's coming up against different systems every every week and he might need Bakayo Saka to play in a different position or different role. And that's one thing that you kind of need in your team. Someone that knows the pitch inside out. So when they're in a, in a position on the pitch that they're not used to, it doesn't feel, you know, alienated to them. And I think that's one thing I don't like about what people are saying that he needs to kind of, he's only, what, 19? The guy's got a huge career ahead of him. Why can't he play all these positions? And I think Arteta is a good coach for him to learn on. Coming back to the game, I was a bit, you know, the 10, last, 10, last 10, 15 minutes, I was really upset because I wanted Arsenal to push on. I wanted Arsenal to put two up front. I wanted Arsenal to change it up a little bit to be a bit more penetrating up front. And I don't know why Arteta didn't do that. I think that's one thing I'll probably stay out the game that we didn't. I'm not saying we didn't try. I'm saying that, you know, we could have changed it, tried a bit more attacking. Even if we, I think that's, you know, like how West Ham did with Suchek. They just hoofed it, changed it up. I know it's not Arteta's game plan. I just know it's not the way Arsenal want to play going forward. But I think that, you know, we need a bit of a, a plan B just to kind of change it up a little bit. Yeah, de- definitely. I think having seen Man City's formation where they kind of pack that midfield out, Technically, if you're looking at it from outside in, they've overpowered your midfield. You've got two players, uh, Xhaka and Sabeos. They're nowhere to be seen. I think eventually you've seen Saka coming into, drifting into that midfield. Tini kind of more hovering around onto that left. But if, if I'm looking at that, if I'm Arteta, I'm thinking half time, okay, let's see it out to half time. I need to change this. Change I'm going to make here is either I tell Saka we move to a back four and we kind of play this. 4-3-3 let's let's go toe to toe with the midfield man city got four people in that midfield i need i need an extra man in there so saka is a fantastic player obviously what dim was bringing on to him what you're bringing on to milan as well the energy's there you know and you're seeing in that final third he was probably the only player that when he was on the ball he looked like he was going to do something and even up top you've got you've got william he played him kind of like in this false nine position that wasn't really, wasn't really working I want to see Aubameyang just stick him out there, you know, keep him there. Just don't be interchanging it. Just keep him there. The key things that you need to focus on are on the left and right or who can bring Aubameyang into the game or how Aubameyang can kind of change that game as well. Pepe, 
again, went lost. There was nothing from him. Willian, I can't really blame him playing a position that he shouldn't. He's probably the first time he's ever played it and he's like 32 years old. So I think that speaks volumes in itself. But Pep, you can't, I can't take anything away from how he kind of planned this game. The semi-final you've seen last season, or even that mullering you've seen from Leicester, is very lacklustre performances. And you, you can kind of tell before a game how Pep will set up and what, what the team will do, how you can kind of counteract it. This one, this, this was fantastic. And this is what, as a neutral, this is what you're kind of paying the money for. You know, formations, tactics like this. But yeah, I I agree completely. And although it was a masterful, you know, bit of masterclass by Pep, I still think the game was there for Arsenal to, you know, get back into. Uh, Arteta brought on Lacazette and played him in a kind of attacking midfield role, which is a little bit confusing. If I mean, if he wanted to kind of chase that goal, he should have just put Inketia and and Lacazette up front and then moved Aubameyang out to the left and keep Pepe on the right. But he just didn't do that. And I've seen this kind of reluctance from Arteta in the past couple of weeks to kind of just go for broke. Even I know it's against City and they could hit you on the counter-attack, but it just didn't seem to me at, coming to the end of that game that you know he was happy with just keeping it 1-0 and not really chasing that point. Yeah, definitely. You know, there wasn't kind of much change. It's very kind of slow tactical changes there, but... I can understand from Arteta's perspective as well. They did have a few chances in the game. It couldn't be an onslaught. Sleet is so clinical in their, in their attack. Arsenal put more and more men forward. City have got five of them running at you. It could be four. And morale can go the other way. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look at our the way we started the season, the only two games we've lost against are Liverpool and City. So we can't say we're doing badly, but we still, we're still there to, you know, we're still, we're still there to improve. We've got... Manchester United and Leicester City coming up. So I think those will be the real tests, especially at Old Trafford, because we never get anything at Old Trafford. But still, I think those two coming up, I think those are going to be the big the big games now to see if Arteta can really get something. We need minimum of four points. I'm expecting three from Leicester, but I think the big one's going to be at Old Trafford to see if we can get anything from there. Thanks for all your opinions and hope you guys enjoyed it at home. And if there's any particular topics that you would like us to talk about or particular questions that you have for the guys, uh, please drop them on our Instagram and Twitter accounts and shed a light on them on the next pod.